Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Welcome in, folks. Episode number 78 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, and my guest on the show today is Dr. Rachel George. She is the perfect person to wrap up the month of May for us here on Leaning Into Leadership. As you know, we've been focused on aspiring new and rising leaders, and today I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with Rachel specifically about how do we get more female leaders into the educational leadership space and just overall, male or female, what are some things that we need to be prepared for when we take that first position? Rachel and I had a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you, and you're going to hear it right on the other side of this message from our sponsor today, Peer Driven PD. Hey, leaders. You know, teachers and administrators don't always see eye to eye, so it might surprise you that over 86% of teachers and administrators agree that we need more full-time classroom teachers leading our professional development. That's where my friends at Peer Driven PD come in. Peer Driven PD finds some of the best teachers in the country and documents their instructional strategies that work in real classrooms every day, and then they make the content available to schools everywhere. It's kind of like a master class, but for teachers. Imagine that. Your teachers are learning from other amazing teachers who, just like them, are gifted and passionate about driving student achievement. And if you've got your own superstar teachers who deserve some exposure, Peer Driven PD will visit your campus and film your own teachers doing what they do best and share it on the platform for their colleagues and everyone else to see. What a huge morale boost that can be for a district. And just so you know, Mike Alpert, who's the company's founder, has been a guest on this very podcast. Check out episode 49. Mike's a former teacher and administrator who has worked with schools from coast to coast. He really understands the need for engaging PD that teachers will appreciate. Look, I've seen this work firsthand. It's unique, it's interesting, and it's just what you need if your teachers want more out of their professional development. Visit PeerDrivenPD.com to request a quote. Tell them the Leaning Into Leadership podcast sent you, and they'll give you a free trial access so you can check out all of their content and decide for yourself. As well, they'll give you an additional 10% off your first year's subscription simply for mentioning the Leading Into Leadership podcast. Go to PeerDrivenPD.com today. Again, that's PeerDrivenPD.com. Today on the show, we want to talk about really getting that plan, deciding to make the move and go after the job of your dreams. And it's not just that we need to chase after those jobs, but sometimes we need to realize that we all really have a space in educational leadership. And specifically today, we're going to talk about the space that exists and needs to continue to grow for female leaders in educational leadership, and nobody better to have that conversation with than Dr. Rachel George. Rachel, thank you for joining me here on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. So just really quick, um, for, for those who may not know you, um, a quick elevator. Here's who Rachel is, and then let's dive into this conversation. Yeah, you bet. Um, I am Dr. Rachel George. I'm an educational leader in Oregon. I currently am the executive director of elementary programs and also a pre-K principal 
heavily involved in my state association. I'm the past president of our umbrella association, COSA, the Coalition of Oregon School Administrators. I'm an NAESP fellow, NAESP state rep for the state of Oregon, author, speaker, consultant, um, you name it. I probably have dabbled in it, have worked at the secondary level, elementary, and very much the Goldilocks effect, landed at middle school and was a middle school principal. Loved it, loved it, and have spent seven years at the elementary school leading from that level as well. So a lot of different hats that I've worn over the years. Yeah. So what do you do with your free time? Oh, man, I'm working on that. Um, I actually have more free time <laughs> this last year than I have in the past. And because I've been intentional, very intentional about it. Uh, but I, I play hard and I work hard. I mean, I just got back from a weekend trip to Alaska where I was fishing. because so I was like, what am I going to do this weekend? I feel like fishing in Alaska. So I go play, I go play, make great memories. That's what I do. I think that's awesome. And, you know, I want to touch on this for, for just a second. You know, we, we all have a unique story in how we got into education. And uh, we're, we're going to talk about your book off and on throughout this conversation. But one of the things that I found really interesting uh, as I was reading the book was that you were actually a wildland firefighter mm -hmm. before you got into education. So, yeah, how did that come about? <laughs> Uh, not how I anticipated. And I didn't anticipate working in the woods either to really kind of like roll back time in high school. I was into pageants and was like a tree planting princess, very girly, very girly. And I was actually planning to go work at a bank. And one of my girlfriends was like, Rachel, instead of working at the bank, do you realize how much money you could go make working in the woods, fighting fire? And I'm like, well, I do sports. I think I can make this work. I run with her. So I went into fire blindly, um, ended up loving it, loved the adrenaline piece, loved how things worked, loved being outside. But I do, in fact, even remember being like, where's the trail that we're supposed to hike on? And they're like, Rachel, fires don't follow trails. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Like, it was a very eye-opening experience for me. And I ended up spending 11 years total in fire. I worked um, on hand crews, type two hand crews hotshot crews, helicopters, like the whole gamut, um, and really, really loved it. And it was honestly a conversation at um, a smoke jumper base in Grangeville where the base manager's like, Rachel, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, what do your parents do? And I'm like, well, my mom's an elementary principal, dad's a city manager, but I love cutting down trees and I'm really good at using a chainsaw. And he's like, you need to go back to school. Like, and I'm like, am I, I, I can do as many pull-ups as you. Like I very much was like trying to fuck my chest up. And he's like, no, you're meant for some bigger things. And I remember kind of marinating on that conversation. And then also it really kind of hit home with some conversations back and forth with my mom about different challenges and frustrations with um, a lack of change for sure. Like at the federal government level, like we think like state level is slow to change or the districts are slow to change. Like the feds are even harder to move. Um, but also being in the middle of a wilderness and really watching it burn over a section that really needed to kind of be managed differently and realizing that I needed to make some different decisions. So even as a teacher, I went back and forth between fire and in the classroom and that was a great balance. And I actually, um, had my last day in fire just about three days before I showed up for my first principal job in Southern Oregon. And even then I still lived at the ranger station. Um, so it's been very much ingrained for good and bad, right? Like definitely like my years in fire has made me the leader that I am, but it's also made some hard edges for me that I've had to definitely round out, particularly like at the elementary level than maybe middle or high. 
That's fantastic. I, like I said, I just found that so interesting. Again, everybody's got their own unique story mm-hmm. that, that leads them into uh, leads them into being in education, but uh, not a whole lot of them. It's, you know, rooted in wildland firefighting. I, I think mm-hmm. that's just really, <laughs> really awesome. Um, and, and yes, there is uh, my next door neighbor when, when I was a superintendent in Colorado was a wildland firefighter. And we would see her about once every three weeks, you know, and, oh, yeah. and then she would be gone. And, and, uh, but you know what, she had a, she had a wonderful, you know, wonderful opportunity then, you know, during non wildlife, uh, wildland fire fighting time to, she actually worked at a, uh, uh, fire station in Montana, I think. Um, but we would nice. see her, you know, quite a bit during, during the summer. So anyway, that's, uh, that's one heck of a squirrel chase there. So, um, let's, let's dive in and talk a little bit about, um, finding your way, finding that opportunity to move into educational leadership. And I want to start with just kind of your path into educational leadership. And then, then I want to dive into the book and, and have you talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the things that are, are connected to getting more female educational leaders mm-hmm. into those positions. But but let's start with, with talking a little bit about your journey uh, to being a principal. Yeah, that's not one that I initially saw, right? It actually came about by people saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? You know, you're a natural leader, you're volunteering and participating in these committees, in these different planning groups, leadership companies. Um, and it was really kind of a shoulder tap. Have you thought about this? And I remember at first being like, what? And it was actually a female. It was like a retired vice principal that was just doing a like a one year stint at the middle school that I was working at. And she had mentioned it to me. Thought it was I thought it was kind of a little funky. But then she went and talked to the principal who I had known for a really long time. And he's like, never thought of that. So it was fascinating. Two parts. One that it took a female kind of shoulder tapping me and saying, hey, have you thought about this? And almost kind of giving me permission to dream. But then the second piece was I also found it fascinating that the current administrator who was a male who's known me for a lot of years was like, you're right, she does do that. I hadn't thought about that, which kind of gave me a little bit of a pause, but I mean, water under the bridge, still a very good friend of his um, and helped me grow a ton professionally. Um, But definitely had folks that saw something in me and then helped create some opportunities. That opened up an opportunity for a dialogue of um, experiences, opportunities and tasks to be able to help develop and cultivate that leadership was super fortunate enough to be able to work in the front office multiple times throughout the month, almost on a weekly basis, filling in for folks when they were gone for meetings and just learning that skill set on on the job, right? And being able to do it while I was still teaching. The interesting piece is that I wasn't able to move up within the current district that I was teaching in. And I think that that's sometimes a frustration for folks, right? You go to school, you do your admin practicum, and then you're like, I'm ready to apply. And there's a job that's open. Like we have jobs right now that are open right in our district with folks that have admin licenses. Sometimes it's a good fit, sometimes it's not. There's pros and cons, right? So when you actually grow up within your system, there's a handful of different obstacles that you're facing. So for me, they faced, they knew me as a teacher. My role as a teacher is different than a role as an administrator. The friend dynamic, all of a sudden you're in charge of your friends, the people you knew, right? The ability to have some of those challenging conversations. Um, So I ended up having to actually relocate to, another portion of the state to take a middle school principal job. And I spent three years there, loved it, loved it. And it was interesting because I was used to folks just staying in jobs, took jobs and just settled. That's kind of what Central Oregon was. And I remember folks at the district office, different things opened up 
And they're like, are you going to think about applying? And I remember almost being kind of like taken back and flabbergasted. Like, why would I apply? Like, I just took this job. Like, I moved across the state. Why would I? Don't you settle in? Don't you like spend a good chunk of time yeah. here, at least like three to five? And I had some close friends that were like, no, you, you keep your eyes open. This is like a chess game. And I'm like, a chess game? Help me understand. Because to me, it was a very much a linear path. And it truly wasn't until one of my friends, again, eyes always open on the different jobs. There was a middle school job that was open in a nearby district. And they encouraged me to apply. Lateral job. I just received some awards from some amazing growth. And it uh, wasn't until after the interview that... I had some pretty eye-opening moments and I felt like I killed the interview. I honestly did. But talking and debriefing with the sitting superintendent, who was a female at the time, she called me and offered me a job. But ironically, it wasn't the job that I applied for. It ended up being the vice principal oh, really? job at the middle school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that had some ego involved of like, okay, can I listen to this? Can I like help me understand? And she shared with me, um, that perspective and idea of, of the jungle gym approach that oftentimes, and it's exactly what I was thinking of is my career path in a very linear approach. First, this, then that, this, right. You're a teacher, then you're a coach, then you're right. a principal, then you're a district office person. And she's like, no, it, it fits you. Like it, it matters what you have going on in your life. It matters all these different perspectives of skill sets, things that you're interested in your passion areas, what's a good fit. Um, I didn't end up taking the job. I didn't. Um, I ended up staying, but it, it's very much been about keeping your eyes open, opportunities, and realizing sometimes the paths that you initially create aren't the ones that you end up walking down, and sometimes those are the best paths. Have you ever found yourself in professional development thinking, how is this supposed to help me be a better leader? Folks, PD for Leaders needs to focus on leadership. Introducing High Performance Leadership Teams, a two-day workshop from Road to Awesome. In this two-day workshop, we focus on getting the team very clear on their shared values, direction, and mission. Getting to know the house and understanding the strengths that each of us bring to the table and how we best leverage those. We focus on how we go about getting the work done. We focus on team dynamics. We focus on how it is that we continue to evolve together as a team. Hey, right now, it's a tough time to be a leader. And it's really difficult to grow together as a leadership team unless you're intentional. High performance leadership teams is exactly that. An opportunity to be very intentional about your team. Hey, leaders, I want to work with your team. I want to help set you up for success. Send me an email at darrenmpeppard at roadtoawesome.net or shoot me a direct message on social media. Let's get your leadership team on the road to awesome with high-performance leadership teams. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. That leads me to to something you talk about in the book. And um, before I go there, I, I want to comment a little bit on on what you just said. I think for me, I really viewed, um, and, and the way it played out for me was it was very much a linear career ladder. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 
middle school teacher, then high school teacher, um, junior high school coach, high school coach, um, assistant principal in charge of discipline, then to assistant principal for curriculum, then to principal, then to superintendent. So, so often I think we, we view it as just this linear path. This is, this is the way, the way up. And once you reach that, that pinnacle position, you're probably not going to go back down or you probably wouldn't go from principal to assistant principal or, or something like Mm -hmm. that. But in the book, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I, I thought was so interesting was uh, a comment that, and, and we were talking about this ju- just before uh, before we hit the record button. But um, no matter how happy you are, reflect on your career goals because there's always potentially an opportunity out there. You just got to keep your eyes open. So, so maybe, maybe you know, I don't know, riff on that just a yeah. little bit. Hands down. And, you know, my dear friend and my co-author of She Leads, Miley Stolen, um, I think that what she's going through right now is very, very perfect for this scenario. She was a secondary director in her school district, the same school district that she was a high school principal at. She loves Lincoln County. She literally is probably like the informal mayor of Lincoln <laughs> County and bleeds their colors. It's amazing. And it's a multi, it's a county district. So there's multiple high schools. But she, she's been very, very happy as a secondary director and athletic director for the entire district. And she just recently applied and took the leap to become the next superintendent of that district. I know that she loved her job. She's very young. We know the life expectancy of superintendents. We know the challenge of superintendents right now within the educational field. There's not many folks that are signing up for it. Right. Right? Like many folks are actually running the other way. And she loves her job and she has kids that are in school. And so I know that she loves it, but she also knows that she's meant for bigger things and for greater things and a larger impact. And so she's definitely taking that leap and that opportunity as her superintendent retires to step into that space and to really lead authentically with who she is and what she believes Lincoln County can be. And I'm really, really excited to watch her journey um, and to see that as that progresses and grows because she's going to do some amazing, amazing things. That's really cool. Um, and, and congratulations to her. I mean, that's, uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a lot of fun for her and, and to be able to do that in the same district, I, I think is really, uh, really something that's exciting for her. I, I want, I want to ask you about this. Um, again, back to the book I'm reading through and there's a point in time where you leave the middle school and you're headed to an, be an elementary school principal. And, Mm-hmm. Certainly something different. There's huge differences between being a secondary administrator and being an elementary administrator. Uh, a lot of similarities too, but definitely there are some differences. But here's here's where I wanted to go with this. This entire month, I've been focusing on the podcast around supporting new leaders, rising leaders, and aspiring leaders. So often when we move into a new position, we're given a directive that's very similar to the directive that you were given. Go fix it. So when you hear mm-hmm. go fix it from your superintendent as you step into this elementary role, what what went through your mind? What were some of the steps you took? And, and what are some like yeah. do's and don'ts that you can share with people who are going to get that same directive as they launch into a new job? Yeah. Well, great question. For starters, um, I want to loop back to something I said earlier. Remember the the good and the bad that being in fire created. Yeah. The bad piece is that there's some bluntness and there's some sharp edges at times to my leadership that are much softer now, you know, 12, 13 years later. Um, 
But shifting from the middle school to the elementary, those sharp edges were much sharper than I anticipated. So that was a big learning curve in how I communicated and how I functioned, uh, not only with just body language, but tone, tenor, and pacing and cadence of how I spoke. Um, so that's just some words of advice if you're making that change uh, from one level to another that um, teachers and school systems at levels have kind of their own personality. So just be cognizant of that, that you yeah. can't lead uniformly in one spot. So, um, but that aside, uh, directive, right? Fix it. So one, I knew it was bad, but I didn't understand it was that bad. I knew some of the different backstory dynamics and also for perspective, like I did a school turnaround at the middle school that I was at. So that was my wheelhouse, like school improvement, school turnaround. Um, I wasn't expecting a school turnaround at the elementary school that I was going to. And also I wasn't expecting a staff that was ready to have like a complete mutiny occur. Um, the person had been there for only a little bit. They didn't um, remember much of it, the staff, because it was like, okay, fix it. But what, what parts need, need to be fixed? And nobody could articulate that. So imagine like you're given a mission, a task, and you're like, I don't even know the roadmap. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't even know how we got here. It's probably like, what's that show like lost in the wilderness or like lost and afraid or something like that you know like literally like yeah. we're hunger games i'm plopped in the middle of nowhere and it's like don't die right like stay alive and your face will flash if you die on the screen at night or something <laughs> who knows um so like i knew the task right like fix it fix the fix the culture fix um student performance, which is a huge deal in our district. Um, so to really be able to triage it, like going back and talking to staff, you know, I'm like, what happened? And they're like, I got PTSD, Rachel. I don't remember. It was a terrible year. Um, so we spent a huge amount of time really identifying what our mission and vision is. What is it that we believe to be true about education? Um, what is it that we're doing all the time? Where are we spending our time? Does that align with our mission and vision? Together and collectively, we agreed upon that we knew that we could grow all kids, regardless of where they came in at, that we could grow them. High, medium, low, doesn't matter their background. We knew that if we could get them to school, they could grow. Well, okay, sweet. What are we going to grow them in? Well, we believed as a staff that we could grow them academically. We could grow them behavior and social emotionally. And then also we can make sure that, um, how do we get there? How do we get how do we get them to grow? Well, we need to make sure that they're attending. So that attendance factor. So we focused on the three A's, academics, attitude, and attendance. And then we did list everything that we did on chart paper throughout the room. And then we were like, how does this connect back to that work with the three A's and growing all kids? Does it, does it not? There were a lot of tears and a lot of sacred cows that we talked about, but we really had to kind of skinny it up and refocus. It's kind of like when you're on a train wreck going on and you see it come in and you're out of control. Sometimes you literally just need to stop and slow it down and really triage where are you at, what's going on and get back to the basics, right? Instead of just having it run off the rails and catch on to fire and, you know, all that crazy. Yeah. But I, I think that's cool. a big piece right there. Um, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I, but I, mm -hmm. I, I want to just grab that no, really quick. Um, that's, I think, a mistake that a lot of, especially early career leaders make is, you know, let's just, just keep going. Let's just go even faster, you know, fix it. I got to do it now. I have to, I need to do that yesterday. Slow down to go fast is what I hear you saying. Way, way slow down. And, you know, even looking back, I, I was much slower at the elementary level making changes than I was at the middle school. And even now being a couple of years removed from that. I probably would have gone slower. And even looking and coaching other school administrators across the nation, 
that buy-in and that collective conversation and dialogue about what you're doing and why you're doing it is imperative. You have to have that foundation. Even when you're given like district directives, which I've, I've given them, I've given district directives, hey, this is what we're doing. Okay, awesome. But then as that sitting leader, you need to be able to process and like filter that through. How can I deliver and hit the mark on that? How can I facilitate and help support my staff to get there? What conversations do I need to have in order to get that next step in that same direction because it's it's a challenging spot as a as a principal you truly are you're responding and leading your staff which each staff is unique right and it changes and ebbs and flows every year depending on your staff dynamics depending on initiatives depending on your kids that are coming in and then on the other end you have your principal or not your principal but your like principal supervisor your district office or your superintendent that you're answering to that has a whole different set of expectations oftentimes they're disjointed so how do you marry the two How do you still move forward, honor your building, develop that culture? Because let me tell you, if you just do exactly what the district office is saying, and and we do want you to do that, right? You've been a superintendent. You want them to do that. You give them the mission and vision. But depending on how you implement that and how you move your staff forward, that's where that finesse factor is imperative. If you come in and this, this is what we're doing, this is what the district said, and then all of a sudden you have staff that are pushing back and digging their heels in and you have grievance after grievance, probably not the best way that you you handled that right but there's a way to have that collective efficacy to be able to move forward and be able to blend the two and then let's also be honest as a district office person we're umbrellas for school principals as school principals you are the umbrella to your to your teachers how do you do this work and insulate your staff so they can do the work that matters which is working with kids growing kids having those healthy positive relationships while still checking the boxes and still getting your SIP for your school improvement plan turned in and your observations done right there's an art to it for sure yeah and uh, you know where that leads me is just just listening to you talk about all of that stuff you know puts me in this this mindset thinking about you know those days coming home as a principal you know i was a high school principal and man there were days when i would get home and the words decision fatigue aren't enough to describe it because you make you make a thousand decisions a day probably as as a building level administrator as a district level administrator you just make so many decisions how do you how do you balance that i mean everything you just talked about how do you how do you balance that how do you take care of yourself so that you don't end up just like totally burned out mm-hmm. before a school year is even over yeah, uh, the million dollar question, and I think it it it's seasonal, right? Like there's chunks of time where it's more busy than others. Um, right now, we're in the midst of spring. Schools are closing for the summer. I I work with a variety of school districts that like this is their last week for seniors, and then last week with kids next week. You know, a lot of Oregon schools are done in the middle of next month, so we still have like a good three weeks ish. Um, but it's it's busy, right? Fall is also a busy time. In fact, like January through March is probably my favorite. It's a little bit of a lull. You can really dig into teaching and learning. And so taking care of yourself in that decision fatigue really can change and look different over the course of the year. I'll speak to right now, though, because like we're in the spring months and it's it's a little crazy town, right? Um, for myself, complete decision fatigue, right? I mean, you're exhausted, you're tired. You're like, how many emails did I look at my email today? Okay. I'm just going to flip over Darren, like just, just for kicks, you know, I have 232 emails that I haven't read that just came in today, right? Like I got that, but I also have meetings that I need to then be fully present with. 
And I say fully present intentionally, right? Because I know folks, they're like, Rachel, you have your phone on you at all times. You're totally right. But I'm also trying to be like present with the person and to show that I care because I do and actively listen, not half listen. And so how do you do that? Balance that, be in classrooms, be responsive to the principal that just called me just right now, right? Like there's, there's a chunk. And I think that it's essential that we think about how we're managing our time before and after school and then also throughout the day. Are you taking some time within your day to really slow down? I bet you the majority of the folks that are listening aren't eating lunch, right? I bet you they're not slowing down. They're probably getting to the end of the school day and they're like, did I even eat anything? And you're like, yeah, I ate the Snickers bar out of my secretary's candy, right? Like I'm known for trick-or-treating through people's offices. Like <laughs> it's not Halloween, but I'm eating all your candy, right? Like that's not the best choice. Are there some things that we can be intentionally planning to make sure that we have some snacks that are readily accessible? So then, you know, we're definitely fueled. It's kind of like running a car. Um, think about how you're decompressing at the end of the day. So decision fatigue, your brain's tired, you're exhausted. You might zone out and be like, how did I get home? Oh my gosh, I forgot to go to the post office and I ended up at home. That happens to me a lot. Like I need to go to the post office and I don't. Um, so take some time, some quiet time to process and think about what your day looked like, how it went. We encourage you to think about what are some positive pieces? What are some strengths? What are some celebrations? Oftentimes our brains go to the things that didn't work out, the frustration points. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes fixate on the things that didn't work well or the conversation that didn't sit right with me. I'm like, if I could only get this person to see this, or I hope this person understood what I was trying to say because I said it five times, right? So I think being able to give yourself some space and grace to let those pieces go, but focus on the positives. And then when you're heading into a day, I think it's like, as I'm thinking about today and the day I have ahead of me, how am I setting myself up for success? How am I making sure that I'm rested going into it, that I've had the appropriate amount of caffeine, not over caffeinating, not under caffeinating, but just hitting that right mark. I'm still drinking my water. And then, hey, it's like pregame. Okay. When you're watching a basketball game or you're watching a football game, what's going on? They're being thoughtful and visioning what their day looks like. They're playing some music. They're going through the routine. We can do that and still that same tactic as school leaders. And I think that's wildly, wildly powerful. I know that when I have a challenging day or I'm in a funk or I need to really kind of get my mind right, I have a couple key songs that I go to and I put them on repeat. And depending on what mood I'm in, it definitely helps spin me out of it. And it helps me just kind of get into like a mantra state of like, all right, game on. I got this. So that way you can run and gun and then be able to take that pause at halftime and then keep going. I think it's also intentionality with your calendar. I know it's, at least for me, especially during eval season, it's super tempting to go back to back to back to back with meeting after meeting after meeting. Hey, one teacher coming out, one teacher coming in. Hey, one principal coming in for your school improvement plan presentation, the next principal coming in as the other one's going out. But how are we creating space? Does that meeting need to be an hour? Can it be 45 minutes and you're giving your space to yourself to decompress? 15 minutes as you heading into as you head into the next one. Maybe it's not 15 minutes. Maybe it's just five minutes. Maybe it's two minutes. But it's identifying what you need as an individual and then ensuring that you're giving your space to process those pieces. Because it is exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. That's one of the best and worst things about our job, right? We love the people, we love the kids, but some of the most challenging pieces are the kids and the like the adults, right? right. Because of the decision component. Because every decision we make is incredibly powerful. And it's literally life-changing and that's a huge huge weight to hold so how can you make those best decisions it's by taking care of yourself yeah absolutely um that's uh, listening to you talk about that it, it made me reflect on on my principal time and 
you know, the number of times that I ate standing up in the hallway or, you know, it was 2.30 and it dawns on me, hey, I haven't eaten anything today. Maybe, maybe I ought to maybe I ought to eat something. And uh, I love the analogy of uh, trick-or-treating through the offices because that's, yeah, I was really good at that. No question about that. So, Oh, man, me too. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're talking about decisions, let's, let's talk about this decision, the decision to apply or not to apply for for a job. Again, one of the things that, that we're really pushing on this month is those people who either are aspiring leaders or they're new or they're rising leaders. But, you know, there's there's still some really good jobs that are open out there. And if you're looking at a job, what what might keep people from from going after a job? What what maybe are the the things that people should be thinking about to just jump at it and and go after it and and be brave be bold and 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 you know get your get yeah. yourself in the pool so um let, let's let's talk a little bit about just that go pursue the job yeah completely well i think let's start off by saying there's still a ton of jobs open and there will be across the nation all the way up until school starting and then even after school starts there's going to be still a ton of jobs there's a lot of movement a lot of changes occurring in education um and I think you just never know. So I think you need to constantly keep your eyes open. The other piece of encouragement I'd offer is that if you want to lead and you want to be a leader within the education world, there's space and there's an opportunity for you. You just have to be open and you have to be able to look for it. Maybe it's not in the exact location that you want, but it exists out there, whether it's in your building, whether it's in a different part of the state and who knows, it actually might be the best fit for you. And I think back on my career path and journey, I was expecting and wanting to stay in the same location. But I really had to open my mind to, if I really truly want to do this work, where do I need to go? And it ended up being the best three years of my life. I've learned so much from there. And there's so many lessons that I've carried with me. So many friendships that I've continued to contain, not contain, but like manage, have, maintain, that um, it was very, very life-changing. So when I think about different jobs and different opportunities for all of our listeners out there that might be like, I I think I might want to apply, or this job is kind of like, you know, pulling at me a little bit. I'd encourage you to apply. And it's also interesting, I wanna just put out there that depending on if you're a male or a female, you're gonna approach that job description very differently. So I have a lot of girlfriends and there's also a lot of research around this that we'll look at the job description and we'll go item by item and we're like, can I do that? Huh, yes, no. And you're almost like checking them off. And then even if you checked it off, you're like, but how good am I at it? Have I mean, I have a little experience with it and what it's been found to be is that women often don't put their application in or um, people from minority backgrounds if they haven't hit all of the different criteria pieces because they feel like they're not adequately qualified for the position. Flip side of it is that there's been research that's been done where men often look at the job description and they're like, that job sounds interesting. Might as well give it a whirl. Worst they can say is no, right? Like I'm looking at the pieces and I'm like, I can do about half of it. I'm sure I can figure out the rest of it. So just by nature of like putting your application in or not putting in your application, like you're either choosing to like throw your name in and participate or not. And by not even throwing your name in, you're rejecting yourself before you even get started. The worst thing they can say is no. And saying no is not going to hurt anything. It truly is not. You're not going to lose anything. Some of the best advice that was given to me was like, Rachel, go apply for every job. Take every interview for every job because that's going to be practice and feedback for you. So when you do get that dream job, which you maybe realize or don't realize, you're going to be prepared. You're going to have the skill set. You're going to know how to rock the interview. You're going to know how to rock the paperwork. It's all going to be done instead of 
waiting behind the curtain for that right moment and practicing in private. No, we're just going to go continue to practice because not getting the job is not an example of failure. It's not failure at all. It's going through that process to learn and to grow and to find that right fit for you. It truly is. So throw your application in. You're not going to lose anything. If they say no, it's okay. It wasn't the right fit. There's a reason. And if you keep getting that roadblock put in, reach out to a dear friend or one of us and we can have a conversation about like, okay, let's talk more about this. What are some different things? How are you answering these? You know, what's, what's your approach with this? In fact, I did have a friend that did that. They were like, Rachel, I can't get a job. What do you mean? You're a great leader. Well, I just get feedback that my interviews are bad. Tell me more. Okay. Well, when I was with interviewing with like a whole high school admin team, I said I wanted to be really collaborative with teachers and all these pieces. But then the admin team was like, no, I need you to be more definitive and be able to make hard decisions. So then they turned around and went into an interview panel that had a bunch of teachers on it and like community members. And then they, they used the feedback from the admin team about being more definitive and not caring. And they didn't realize that yeah. like the dynamic within that interview committee is so vital for how messages are conveyed and viewed that they ended up like botching that interview. So there's some different learning opportunities, but you don't know in isolation. And that's the power of networking and within education is that we're all here to help each other out. It's not a competition against each other. The more that you do better, the more that I do better, right? We lift each other up. We truly do. So food for thought. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. It, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got very similar to, to what uh, you just talked about. Somebody told me once uh, I was debating on whether or not to apply for a job in my hometown, actually at, at the high school where I graduated. And the person said to me, throw your name in the hat. There's no decision to be made unless they offer you the job. Otherwise you're just looking to advance yourself. You're looking to grow and take 100%. the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So folks, 100% just listen to Rachel here, throw your name in the hat. You never know what's going to happen. So um, Rachel, our, our, our time is starting to wind down on us here. So I want to get to the last question I ask everybody here on the podcast. And then I'm actually going to loop back and, and let you talk just real quick about uh, where people could find the book. But uh, this is the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. So Rachel, what are you doing right now to lean into leadership? Mm, love that question. I would say that I'm working on being present, being responsive, and also making sure I'm taking care of myself. I've gone through a lot of just personal stuff that's impacted professional things over the last year. Um or two years and just really ensuring that I'm a balanced leader. Uh, Jessica Kabeen talks a lot about this all the time and I'm a huge fan of her and her new book um, that has come out. And I think it's imperative. I think that we're grinding and grinding and grinding as educational leaders and there's a huge burnout factor. And I'm really, really adamant that we really need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Um, I've had some different things happen in my life where I've observed folks that literally die and they're replaced the next day, right? Within education. And I think we often give our souls, and I know this isn't a popular thing to say, but we give our souls and heart and our entire life over to education. And I completely understand why. And I agree. And I do the same, but we also have to make sure that there's a boundary where we're not um, sitting on our deathbed, wishing and regretting that we maybe spent more time making memories or having family time or building relationships outside of our work. Um, because again, the school bell is going to ring tomorrow and someone else is going to be in that spot. 
So make sure that you're taking care of your health, making sure you're taking care of your mental health, um, your physical health, and that your relationships, because you truly need to be a well-rounded leader to be successful. And that's not something your boss will tell you to do. Hopefully they do. I have one and they do exist out there, but oftentimes it's um, grind harder, get the work done, but you need to take care of yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So the book is She Leads, uh, The Women's Guide to a Career in Educational Leadership. Where do people find this? Mm. A good old friend, Amazon. You can get She Leads, The Women's Guide to a Career in Educational Leadership on Amazon. You can also get it on Dave Burgess Consulting, uh, DVC's website too as well. So direct link on there. Awesome. And how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Dr. Rachel George. Uh, Rachel is R-A-C-H-A-E-L. It's a little bit different of a spelling. And then I'm also on Facebook for Rachel George as well. So lots of different ways to connect. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for this conversation today, folks. Just a whole bunch of great stuff there. Uh, Make sure you get out there, grab a copy of that book. And if you're not already following Rachel on those social media platforms, make sure you do that. So Rachel George, thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into Leadership. Thank you. Have a great day. Nothing but pure gold from Dr. Rachel George there. And I truly appreciate her coming on the podcast and sharing all of those different insights right there, folks. Some really, really amazing stuff. Make sure you get out there, grab a copy of the book, She Leads, The Women's Guide to a Career in Educational Leadership. And now it's time for a pep talk. For today's pep talk, I just want to build on something that Rachel and I were talking about towards the end of the episode, and that is you cannot land a job if you don't apply. Folks, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there to take the risk, to take a chance. I love how Rachel talked about that so often, you know, we get get ourselves like a little bit closed-minded and thinking that we have to be in a certain place for a certain amount of time. Folks, you've got to be willing to take a look. No matter how happy you are in your career, there's always some opportunities that you should be at least taking a look at. So put yourself out there. Apply for the position. If you're looking at one right now and you're thinking, man, I've really been debating, just go for it. There is no decision to be made until they offer you the job. So get out there. Take a shot, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. I appreciate you, my friends. Get out there. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.